Welcome to Bridges Community Church. And whether you're joining us online or live in person, we would like to say thanks for joining us. And remember, it doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with or what you're going through right now. You are welcome here and you are in the right place. We will begin our services in just a few moments. And as we prepare to enter into a time of worship, we would just like to say we would love to connect with you. If you're new with us, head to bridges.info and let us know that you're here and we'll reach out this week and find out how we can be praying for you or how we can help get you connected to our community. Have you ever noticed when suffering comes into people's lives, there are some people who respond in a way that inspire and amaze us. And then there are some people who respond in a way that seems to make everything worse, it just adds to the chaos of their lives and adds to the chaos of the situation. Today, we are going to look at Job's reaction to his suffering. And surprisingly, when he reacted, he turned to God in an act of worship. Doesn't change who you are or what you 
she could barely lift her head, you were worthy. And after all those tears were shed, you were worthy. I never stop singing your praise. I'll never stop singing your Zion, 
For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And we just sang, I'll never stop singing your praise, but if I'm completely honest, I really can't sing those words. And in my head I was singing, God, I hope I never stop singing your praise. In those times of trial, in those times of weakness, God, remind me to give thanks to you, to sing praises to you, to shout and sing for joy in those times of suffering and struggle. Lord, help us to always sing for joy to you. Welcome to Bridges Community Church. We are glad you are here with us for worship as we look into the book of Job this morning in our second week of our Job study. We're going to look at just that this morning. Would you stand with us as we sing and as we worship and as we shout for joy to the Lord in those times of joy and in those times of struggle? Oh 
Yeah.
that hymn, me and Martin Luther. Uh, we both love that hymn. I uh, want to bring to your attention an exciting ministry that is going on here in the life of the church that some of you are aware of, some of you may not be uh, aware of. And to help us share about that, I'm going to invite somebody that a few of you know, Miss Laura Perez. Come on up. Uh, Laura is going to share a little bit. Yeah. Laura, if you didn't know, works with our, uh, well, she wears many hats, but one of the hats she wears is she leads our college ministry and does a fantastic job of doing that. Our college ministry is a bit larger than some of you may realize because of this exciting ministry that Laura is going to tell us about. Laura, tell us about this wonderful ministry. Yeah, thank you, Steve. So some of you might be aware of this, but our college ministry at Bridges has been partnering with this wonderful group called ISF, which stands for International Student Fellowship. And this is a great community. This is a, a group that's based out of De Anza and Foothill Colleges. And they provide students with ways to get connected into how to transfer to other colleges. They feed them. They give them fellowship and community and teach them about God. And so we've partnered with them these past few months to create this Friday Bible study that we've been doing. Every Friday from 2 to 4, we meet together over here in the Student Ministry Center. And what that looks like basically is in the beginning we just hang out, we get boba, we have boba every single Friday. It is amazing. Yes, you can, you can clap for that. Praise God for boba. Uh, but yeah, so we have Boba, we hang out, we just ask each other about how our week has gone. And then for about an hour, we actually dive into the Word of God. And one of the most incredible things about this Friday study is that there are students reading the Bible for the very first time. They have never read the Bible at all. And they're not just reading it, like hearing other people read it, but they're actually reading the words out loud. They're reading the words together with us. And so we spend time reading a passage, and then we kind of unpack it together. And we ask the same questions every week, like, what do you see in this passage? Or what do you like? Or what do you not like? And then if this were true, so that's what we always ask them, is if you could think this is true, even in a, in a little bit in your brain, what would you do differently? How would you live in light of this truth? And it is so incredible to get to hear these students talk about what they're thinking about God. Some of them have never been exposed to God and they teach me things about the scripture that I never would have thought. They have these incredible observations. And some of them actually choose to leave the groups. It's the most incredible thing. Many of them ask if they can facilitate and we always have the students facilitate. None of the adults facilitate the groups. The students are leading the groups, including many of our Bridges students. They actually facilitate those groups. And one of the best parts actually too is we ask them for any prayer requests they may have at the end of the study. And one of the most heartbreaking parts of this for me is hearing students say, I'm lonely. My biggest prayer request is that I'm lonely. I don't have my family here. They're in another country. I don't have any friends at school because it's, it's hard to make friends. And so they say, you know, this is actually my favorite time of the week is coming here to be with all of you, or these are the only friends I have. And really when I hear that prayer request, I think that there might be people in this room that could be the answer to that prayer. So something that ISF would really love to see us do as a church community is really come alongside these students. 
And that could look like many different things. One of the easiest ways you could do this is actually just giving students a ride from where they live to church on Fridays at two if you're retired or you don't have anything going on on Fridays. We would love to use that as a resource, you driving these students here. Another thing, this is a little bit more of a commitment, but I know we can do it, is actually they want to see us partner with students by kind of sort of adopting them into our families and taking them to go do different activities on the weekends. So maybe you could commit to doing one trip a year where you take students out to San Francisco or some of your favorite parts of the Bay Area, maybe Monterey, something like that so that they can be exposed to this area around them and also feel like they have a family because that's what so many of them are missing and so many of them long for. So if you feel like you could be a part of this, we would love to have you connect with us. You can email me. My email is just laura at bridges.church or you can actually connect with my friend Gary who's here today. He's going to be out. He's right here. He's going to be out in the lobby at the connections table with some materials. He can answer many more of your questions as well. But that's how we'd love to see this church kind of get even more involved with this incredible ministry. Isn't that incredible? So, yeah. I want to pray for this ministry, and I want to invite you all to pray for this ministry and go to the table afterwards and meet Gary. Good to see you again, Gary. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. And, uh, yeah, there's so many different uh, small but significant ways that you all can be involved. Laura, I want to say on behalf of many here, this church loves you. This church is grateful for you. I'm incredibly grateful to have people who are using their gifts in the ways that God is using you. So God is using you. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, the celebration of hearing stories of people encountering you, maybe even for the first time. That's our desire. You have changed many of our lives, and we desire to see you change the lives of many, many more. We ask, God, that you would release your spirit to work in the hearts of these students who may just be coming because they're lonely, or it'd be fun to get boba, or it'd be fun to connect with somebody else, but they're going to hear much more than that. They're going to experience much more than that. Take the work of our hands, take the resources that you give us and multiply them, that they can be used to make a difference for the kingdom. We pray that those who do not know you would be brought to a saving knowledge of you. We pray that you would bring healing and salvation, not only to individuals, but to families and to campuses, Lord. We pray that you would use Laura. Thank you that she is courageously following you, God. We've watched that as she's grown up here in this church it's been impacted by so many others and watching how you were using her is so inspiring, God. We pray your blessings over her. And Lord, thank you that we can continue in worship, remembering how you send us out on mission every single day. These opportunities are all around us. May we take advantage of them. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Thank you. Can we all stand together as we continue our time of worship? Where? 
But for those who don't, um, in 1871, a great fire swept through the city of Chicago, and it destroyed over 2,000 acres, 17,000 structures, killed over 300 people, and cost over $200 million in damages, which adjusted for today is about $4.7 billion. Um, at the time, there was a successful lawyer in Chicago by the name of Horatio Spafford. Um, and he was financially devastated by the fire because he had invested so heavily in real estate in the city of Chicago, which at the time, um, real estate in Chicago seemed like a pretty sure bet because Chicago had been growing at a nearly unfathomable rate. Um, in 1830, 
there were only, can you imagine this, 350 people in Chicago, total. You could probably know all their names. But by 1860, 30 years later, there were over 112,000 people. For those of you keeping track at home, that's almost a 32,000% increase in population over a 30-year period. So real estate should have been a slam-dunk deal. Should have been. Had been for decades. And then the fire wiped out everything. So a financially broken Spafford spent the next two years struggling to get back on his feet. And then, in 1873, both he and his family were, pl were planning to travel to England, um, at least partially to accompany D.L. Moody on one of his evangelistic campaigns. So the whole family was set to set sail across the ocean on a nice vacation. Well-deserved after their last two years of struggling to put it back together. But at the last minute, before the ship set sail to England, Horatio decided to stay in Chicago for an important meeting. But his family, his wife and four daughters, went on ahead of him. They boarded the ship, and he was supposed to catch up with them later. But tragically, on the voyage across the Atlantic, the ship carrying his family was struck by another vessel, and it sank into the sea. Horatio's wife, Anna, survived, but all four of his daughters, all four of them, drowned. How would you respond if you were Horatio and all four of your daughters had drowned? In the days that followed, Horatio Spafford wrote the hymn, which many of you know, it is well with my soul. We sing it in here often, and you know the lyrics, many of you, but the lyrics are, when peace like a river attendeth my way. So when times are good. But also, when sorrows like sea billows roll. So when times are tragic. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'm sure that wasn't Horatio's only reaction to tragedy, but it was a reaction of his. And once you know the story behind the hymn, it is stunning that he chose sea billows as an illustration for sorrows. Because for him, it wasn't an illustration at all. It was quite literally sea billows that had destroyed his family, drowned his daughters. And now he is saying... When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Even those of us, and that's many of us, who are well familiar with the origin of that song, we are still left pretty amazed that anyone could respond like that. But here's the deal. This is what we're going to dive into today. Horatio is not alone. It's not like he's the only Christian to ever respond to tragedy by doubling down on Jesus. Christians like Horatio are all over the place. All over the place. A couple contemporary examples. Laura Story, um, who's a modern contemporary uh, Christian artist, wrote the song Blessings after her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So they get the doctor's report, which was bad, and then she writes the lyrics, which you may have heard on the radio. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. I'm sure her and her husband were praying for healing. For prosperity, we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And we say, of course, 
You're right, Laura. That is exactly what we pray for all the time. Blessings, prosperity, peace. Those are, that's pretty much every single one of my prayers. But she continues, all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. She's saying, if you're paying attention, the lesser things are peace, comfort, protection, healing, prosperity. She's saying those are lesser. We might be praying for something lesser, not as good as something else. And God loves us too much to give us lesser because, she says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? She writes that when her husband has a brain tumor. Or another example, in the days following September 11th, Matt and Beth Redman wrote, Blessed Be Your Name. The song was not specifically written as a response to that event. The Redmonds later said it was more of a response to the whole of life. They wanted the song to be how they like always orient themselves. But it was September 11th that triggered them to like reflect on life in general. So when the rest of us were dazed and wondering what might be next. Do you remember September 12th to September 30th? you remember what you were thinking during those days? They wrote these lyrics. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. So when times are good, just like Horatio wrote. But also, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. Then they write, you give and take away. You give and you take away. Either way, blessed be your name. That is exactly what Job said. It's exactly what Job said. Chapter 20, or verse 21 of chapter 1. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job lost his children. He lost his house. He lost his herds and plowing animals. So he lost his means to create income. He had nothing. He'd lost it all. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. We might think when we read Job that, uh, that Job is some kind of fanatical religious zealot. Right? We may think, there's not really people who respond to tragedy like that. You know, Surely Job is just only in Scripture as some kind of hyperbole. It's beyond what any real person would do. That's not the case. Job is not a fanatic. He's not a metaphor. Other people, other real people have responded exactly like Job. In fact, Job's reaction is semi-common among Christians. I gave you the examples of Horatio Spafford, Matt and Beth Redmond, Laura Story, to show Christians do this from time to time. Tragedy strikes, even extreme tragedy strikes, the type of tragedy where life has no possibility of ever being the same ever again, that kind of tragedy, and instead of running away from God, people run to God and worship. It happens. It's not just Job. It's real people. And that leaves us curious, doesn't it? We wonder, how did they react like that? What led, to, what led Job to worship 
after all his children were killed and after he lost any hope of financial provision. Like, why did he worship then? And maybe is there something we could learn from him and apply to our own lives so maybe we could respond similarly? Yes. So as we study Job's reaction this morning, we will see the connection between sovereignty and worship, the connection between sorrow and worship, and finally we'll see a shadow of Jesus the connection between sovereignty and worship, the connection between sorrow and worship, and a shadow of Jesus. So first, the connection between sovereignty and worship. There is, understandably, a tendency to minimize God's sovereignty in the face of tragedy. There's an understandable tendency to say God's hand wasn't in this. Like Steve said last week, sometimes we feel we need to absolve God from any involvement in the tragedy. But there is no question in Job's mind at any point in the entire book of Job who is ultimately in charge. Again, even from the very start of his suffering, Job declares, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. So if we asked Job, if we went up to him like, hey, Job, who took away your flocks, your herds, your children, your houses? Who was it that took those away from you? Job would say, without hesitation, the Lord. That's his understanding. He didn't absolve God of anything before he worshiped. He thought God did it, and he worships God. There is a connection there. It's interesting he doesn't blame other factors or other people involved. Now, like Steve said last week, he's ignorant of Satan's role in this, so he wouldn't have mentioned him. But Job does know certain groups of raiders and bandits have attacked and pillaged. He, he knows about that, and it's telling he doesn't blame it on them. He doesn't say it's the Sabians or the Chaldeans that took away my houses, my herds. He doesn't say it's those raiders who destroyed my life, even though he knows it was them. Nor does he say, it was the lightning that came from the sky. It was a tornado that killed my sons and daughters, even though he knows it was. He doesn't say that. He doesn't blame those causes. He goes straight to the ultimate orchestrator of all events and says, the Lord gave, the Lord take, took away. May the Lord be praised. Job knows everything is in the Lord's hands. Everything. Later in the book of Job, Job actually doubles down on God's sovereignty, meaning this wasn't just a fleeting one-time thought for him. It was core uh, to his processing of suffering. Job 13, 15, Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So again, if we ask, who is it to slaying you, Job? The Lord, he would say. And then we'd be like, Job, just to make sure I heard you right, who is it that you are hoping in? Again, he would say, the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. In Job's mind, there is a connection between sovereignty and worship. And we should pay attention to that. Because we tend to want to say, God didn't have a hand in this. And then, isn't this true? Unlike Job, we have difficulty worshiping God in the middle of tragedy. So Job hangs on to sovereignty and worships. 
we tend to let go of sovereignty and find it difficult to worship during suffering. There's a connection. If we let go of sovereignty, we, to some extent, let go of worship. I'll tell you why I think that is in a minute. But first, I want to say I relate to that impulse. It is not easy to remind yourself that God is really in charge when tragedy hits. It is not easy. And we might even want to tiptoe through some really complicated biblical interpretations to try to get God off the hook. This may not mean anything to you, but part of my responsibility is to educate you on false teachings that exist in the world. And there is a vein of Christianity called open theism uh, that teaches God intentionally limits himself from knowing what is going to happen in the future. He intentionally limits himself. And therefore, since he doesn't know what's going to happen, he's not involved in making it happen. So, God didn't have anything to do with your tragedy because he didn't even know it was going to happen. Open theism. Um, and if you hold to that, you just have to skim over verses like Psalm 139, all the days of my life were ordained before one of them came to be, right? Just skim over those. Act like those aren't there. Um, if you're an open theist, I'm sorry. Uh, I know I'm not giving you a fair shake right now, so I'll admit that. Um, I know I'm oversimplifying. Um, open theism is way more detailed than that, but the details don't make it true. It's false. Even though the impulse behind a theology like that is understandable, because the, uh, theologians, just like us, I mean, they're people, they want to make God more palatable during suffering, right? As if God were somehow on trial and it's our responsibility to defend him. I get that. Of course, I have that impulse sometimes. It is way more comfortable to say it was the Sabians, it was the tornado, it wasn't the Lord. We especially have that impulse if we meet someone who is turned off by the idea of a sovereign God, because of course we want to help them warm up to God, right? So we, want to, we try to make him more consumable so they won't reject him. And then we paint God like open theism does as someone who sits on the sidelines, someone who wants our best, someone who tries to be involved, who tries to stop evil, and will somehow bring it all together at the end, but most importantly, was someone that had absolutely nothing to do with any of the pain that has ever been in our lives. And we think if we paint God like that, people won't reject him. Maybe that's true. Maybe they won't reject him. Maybe, maybe they'll be kind of okay with a God like that. Maybe they'd even be willing to read a book about a God like that. Maybe they'd be willing to sing a song about a God like that. But they won't worship him. You don't worship someone you are kind of okay with. You don't worship someone who in the middle of your life falling apart, when everything you've ever known is being taken away from you, and you turn to God in desperation and cry out, what's happening? Am I going to make it through this? What's going to become of me? You don't worship a God who responds, I don't know. That's a toughie. I'm kind of waiting to find out myself. I'm not at the helm of the ship right now. There's nobody up there steering the boat. I don't know where we're going, but I love you, and I didn't cause this. You don't worship a God like that. 
you may not hate a God like that, but you don't worship a God like that. There is a connection between sovereignty and worship. And if you let go of sovereignty, you lose something on worship. And I don't, I don't think you're going to find much comfort there either. Because you find worship and comfort when you see God as God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all-consuming fire, the unquestioned ruler of all. That's when we fall on our knees and we say, you're bigger than me. Your ways are not my ways, but I'm still with you. It's why we started this series with sovereignty last week. It's why we're bringing it up again this week. So let me push you a little here. If your instinct is to say, God didn't bring the suffering to Job, Satan did, or the Sabians did, or the Chaldeans did. It wasn't God, it was this other party. If that's how you want to frame this, first, you have a point, um, and it's important. God did not generate the evil. God does not do that. He is not the author of evil. Satan generated it, the Sabians, the Chaldeans, they have their own will, and they did it. You are right, but you need to think a little deeper. Could God have stopped them? Could God have prevented what they did? Yes. Yes, he could have. No doubt. And if you are someone who thinks God wouldn't have stopped them because he doesn't want to interfere with free will, that logic falls apart. Because there are an endless number of possibilities of how God could have stopped them without messing with free will. The raiding party all could have come down with malaria on their way to attack Job's estate, so they could have been protected, right? And yet, in that scenario, raiding party doesn't lose any of their free will. If you are about to get shot, the gun could be jammed. And you would say, praise God, and you should, because he intervened, right? And jamming the gun doesn't interfere with the free will of the attacker. The attacker still made a real decision, but God prevented the evil. He could do that, always but he doesn't. Sometimes he does. Usually he doesn't. He doesn't always give the Sabians or the Chaldeans malaria to prevent them from raiding villages. He could. Sometimes he does. Usually he doesn't. So don't try to use free will as an excuse for why God allows evil. He could stop evil and not interfere with free will. He could. He could do it every single time. And if you don't believe that, I don't know what you think heaven is going to be like. You haven't thought that through. Because will there be evil in heaven? No, of course not. There will not be evil in heaven. But will we have free will there? Yes. So there's the perfect example. Tragedy doesn't exist, and there will be no evil, and yet we will all still have free will. So why don't we just do that now? Why don't we just have heaven right now? It could be that way right now. God could do that now. He has the power to stop evil always, and one day, hallelujah, he will and he will judge it. And everyone who ever did evil, including us, will be held responsible. All of that will happen, and evil really will stop someday. But for now, he often allows it 
even though he hates it, even though it hurts us, even though it grieves him, he allows it. He could stop it every time, but he doesn't. Every evil that has ever happened could have been prevented. Every single one, even the big ones, even the global ones. A pinched artery in the right dictator, global catastrophe over. Right? He could do that. Sometimes he does. But usually, God allows the tragedy to happen on purpose. I don't think anyone is kind of okay with a God like that. He forces us to one position or the other just by who he is. You either hate a God like that or you worship a God like that. You cry to the sky, how dare you call yourself good while you allow evil? You must answer for your crimes and you hate God. Or you fall to your knees and surrender. And you say, though you slay me, yet will I hope in you. You say, I know you're in charge. I believe you're good. I don't have any idea what you're doing. This really hurts. This is really hard. But I'm still yours. I'm still going to trust you anyway. I, God, I mean, I'd rather you be at the helm of the ship than someone else. I'd rather you be at the helm of the ship than us just being adrift and who knows what's going to happen next. It's better that you are calling the shots like... I'm, I'm still yours. It's one of those reactions or the other. And you should know, as a pastor, I am not interested in you being kind of okay with God. I'm not interested in that. I, I don't wake up hoping you are just agreeable enough with God that you are willing to come to church sometimes. That's, that's not what I'm aiming for. For you, that's not what I'm aiming for with my kids. I want you to give God the keys of your life. That's what I want for you. I want you to follow him wherever he takes you. I want you to trust him even if he takes you on purpose through the valley of the shadow of death, and he will. He will do that. And if you can trust him with your biggest tragedy, then you really trust him. And that is where you will find a comfort that can't be shaken. That's what I want for you. I don't want anything short of that. And I don't think you'll get there without sovereignty. I don't think you will. Okay, next, the connection between sorrow and worship. The connection between sorrow and worship. Both in this passage and throughout the book of Job, Job displays immense sorrow. Uh, He questions, he screams, he weeps. And I contend all of that is worship. There is no problem with questioning, with screaming at the sky, why have you forsaken me, wondering what's going on. Those are all natural reactions and good reactions, and they can be part of worship. So when we talk about Job's reaction of worshiping uh, the God who he believes has destroyed his life, I do not want you to hear, I do not want you to think worship only means that we stay quiet that we restrain ourselves from asking questions or we aren't mad, because we can be mad. We can ask questions. We'll talk more about questions next week. We can pound the table, and simultaneously, we can worship. Unfortunately, we've gotten the idea that worship must look uh, composed, uh, poised, reverent, quiet. You know, we think worship has to mean saying, it is well with my soul, 
And if it isn't well with my soul, then I'm not worshiping. Um, And that's not true. I mean, of course, worship can look very put together, but it can also look like you are emotionally in pieces. In our verses here, Job is so upset that he tears his clothes and shaves his head, which is a way more common way to uh, mourn back then than it is today. And we need to recapture that. We're going to spend a whole week on lament in our Job series because we've somehow divorced like a raw emotional tantrum from worship. We think we need to get ourselves collected before we worship. But that is not in Scripture. The God of the Bible is like, bring me your tantrum. Verse 20, Job rips his shirt, like, and he shaves his head, like, and worships. It's all the same verse. It's not divorced. Those aren't separate actions. Like, his tantrum is part of his worship. Has anything ever gone so wrong that you just want to break something? Like, chop down a tree, run as fast as you can until you pass out? Have you had so much raw emotion that you needed to express it? Did you think that could be worship? Were you like, wait, isn't that losing your temper? Isn't that wrong to respond that way? Well, it depends. Verse 22, Job did not sin in any of this because he brought it to God. He tantrumed with God. Not at God, with God. And he didn't direct his rage at another person either. He, not even at the criminals who stole from him. He doesn't have any vengeance in his heart. Now, uh, he did destroy a little bit of property. Uh, he ripped his shirt. But it was his shirt! Right? He's not damaging something that belongs to somebody else. And it was worship. Job teaches us that God is honored when we bring our tantrum to him. Think about it like this. Think about your kids. Think, maybe think about a friend. If they come to you all upset and snotty and you can barely understand what the words they're saying because they're losing it, they're like flailing their arms, but they came to you, they want to process this with you, that honors you. You say, you're having a moment like this and you wanted to reach out to me? Like, of course I'm here for you. Like, what's up? Walk me through what happened. And if you just want to sit here and cry for a while, that's okay too. You would never be mad at someone if they came to you when they were freaking out. That's okay. We want them to do that. Like, our heart melts for them in that moment. Usually our relationship with a person like that deepens in those kind of moments. And that's what God wants with us. So don't have the tantrum and then go to God later. Go to God with the tantrum. It's part of worship. You might not be able to sing, and we're going to sing this in a minute, but you may not be able to sing the lyrics, whatever whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You might not be able to sing that because it may not be well with your soul, and that's okay. right? If today you are ripping your shirt and shaving your head, just change the lyrics. Right? Maybe you say, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, I can yell, I can yell, I can yell from my soul. And that's okay. If that's your song today, sing that. And that's part of your worship. Now finally, um, a shadow of Jesus. 
If you are not convinced that it's an act of worship to have a tantrum with God, not at God, again, with God, if you're not convinced, look at Jesus. Jesus was more righteous than Job. He was facing more intense suffering than Job faced. Jesus would be abandoned by friends, rejected by all, crucified in our place. And Jesus goes to his father, crying out, sweating blood, desperate. A more feverish emotional reaction has probably never happened from any human in the history of the world. Jesus wasn't calm. Jesus wasn't collected. He was bursting at the seams, literally blood coming out of his pores. But he was uncalm. He was uncollected with God. He went to God with his turmoil, just like Job. And, again, just like Job, Jesus had a firm grasp on God's sovereignty. Jesus says to God, your will be done. As he's going to the cross, as he is betrayed, as he is tortured, he says, your will be done. Jesus says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Right? He's saying, your will being done as he's being slayed. Listen, if God isn't in charge of suffering, open theists, if God isn't in charge of suffering, then God wasn't in charge of Jesus' suffering. And Jesus' death was just some terrible, unfortunate tragedy that we should mourn. But Christians, we know different, don't we? We know God planned and fulfilled Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf as a sacrifice for our sins so we could be reconciled to God. It was on purpose. And if God had a plan, if God had that glorious of a plan for Jesus' suffering, he has a plan for your suffering as well. And you can trust him. He is at the helm of the ship in the midst of your storm. He is guiding you exactly to where you need to be. He is not waiting to see what happens. He did not abrogate his throne. He did not step down from his sovereignty. He is leading all events, including your suffering, to his glorious purposes. The only question is, will we fall and worship him? Or will we reject him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us space to yell and scream and tantrum. And thank you, Lord, for always being in charge. That someone as good as you is in charge. Whatever questions we have, I pray that we would bring them to you. But I pray, even with our questions, that we would fall at our knees in worship. Thank you for hanging on to us and staying at the helm of the ship in the midst of every storm that we've ever faced. You are good, and we trust you, Lord. Bring us to even greater trust in you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, as Dan just shared, it is okay that we come to you even when we are not ready to say, it is well with my soul. And I will say, especially when we are not ready to say, it is well with my soul. But God, my prayer is for each and every person here who is not completely okay with you. God, I pray that we all are drawn in so close to you that we can say it is well with my soul. But until then, as we sang in the very first song of this worship uh, service, God, I pray that we worship until our hearts change and until we mean every word. God, it is well with my soul, and I thank you for Jesus Christ who made that possible. In his name I pray, amen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to invite Steve up here, but as I invited him up, I was going to say uh, we recently had the privilege of welcoming some new members into our membership here, and uh, with schedules and with all the other chaos uh, happening, we actually took care of uh, this on video, but we wanted to share this with you and introduce to you uh, our new members, Danny and Dorothy. Let's go to the video. And then Steve it's my pleasure to introduce our two most recent members, uh, Danny O oh and Dorothy Chung. Uh, they were married in 2002. They have two sons, Isaac and Aaron, uh, ages 16 and 13. Uh, Danny and Dorothy met in medical school. Danny's a gastroenterologist. Dorothy's an allergist. Uh, they're both now in the pharmaceutical industry, helping to develop new drugs for diseases of the gut and the lung. They've been attending Bridges uh, and have been involved with the Common Need class since 2015. Uh, when they moved to the Bay Area and found Bridges uh, partly through the Special Needs Ministry. So um, welcome, it's great that you're members and I know you wanted to make a, a comment. So thank you so much, uh, Fritz, for the uh, introduction. Yeah, even though it's been a little bit, of, a little, taken us a little bit of time to get to this point, uh, you know, we really found a sense of community uh, right from the get-go since we came in 2015. Um, you know, in particular, we want to call out the special needs ministry and really how we're grateful for them. Uh, not only has it allowed us to attend and be here, but it has also been really impactful and important in Aaron's spiritual growth. Uh, there have been so many people that have been involved in this that, uh, and we're really grateful that they heard the calling and they really accepted Aaron for who they are. And this is by no means a uh, complete list. There's just so many people. Um, Alba, Pastor DK, uh, Shannon, uh, Casey, uh, the Coles, for example. And then not to mention all of his uh, youth helpers throughout the years. Uh, Charlotta, um, Sujay, Josh Ichiru, uh, Desmond Liu, uh, Johanna, Chris, and I'm missing some beyond that, but it's just so great uh, that they all come together and really does take a village. Uh, and we appreciate that 
the, where the, we found a village here. Um, and we really are looking forward to growing together uh, at Bridges uh, as members now. So thanks again, Fritz, and we really appreciate the opportunity. Wow, well, thanks for sharing all that. It's great to hear that. And uh, so welcome to all of you. And they're here today out on the patio, actually. And uh, just want to, as we uh, leave today and you head out to the patio, we uh, have a little something sweet for the moms because you all are the sweetest. And so we want to uh, say happy Mother's Day to all the moms here today. I'm grateful for my mom who uh, is in Texas. And we talked last week and talked by text today. And my wife, Shannon, and now uh, this is my daughter's first Mother's Day as a mom. So celebrating all three of those ladies and you may have special people in your life. Thank you, moms. Thank you for all that you do uh, for, for your families and for, gosh, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine uh, the, the contributions that all the moms in this room collectively make. Thank you. So we rejoice with this family. We rejoice with our uh, moms who are celebrating Mother's Day today, and I want to let you know that if you're visiting here today, or maybe you come often and just want to remind you about bridges.info for opportunities to connect with us. We'd love to know that you're here. You would have an opportunity at bridges.info to submit one or multiple comments or questions about Pastor Dan's sermon today. He, we receive all of those. It's really, really helpful when you put a name there. You don't have to. But if you put a name there, then we can more directly interact with you either through email or in conversations. Uh, and then we try to answer those questions the best that we can. But it's, aside from us as pastors, we're the only ones really seeing that. So uh, if you want to submit a question, you're always welcome to do that at bridges.info. To our regular attenders and our members, we want to remind you about our worship through giving, our tithes and our offerings. You can give financially online at bridges.info. And you can also give... Um, uh, at the secure boxes there that are on the back wall as you leave here today. This is part of our worship. Let's say thank you, God, for how you've provided. Also want to remind you that at Bridges.info, there is a service opportunities page. There are so many opportunities for you to get plugged in and to show love to our community. Laura did a beautiful job of sharing about one opportunity with you, and I want to remind you as you leave today, you can go by and see Gary at the table and uh, learn more about our international college ministry and about how you can serve those folks. You'll see other opportunities there. I want to remind you that we're continuing to refurbish the apartment over at Grace Village. If you want to be a part of helping be a part of that list, send me an email and we'll add you to our weekly list as we're continuing to just sort of make our way to refurbishing that so that a, a needy family from the community through the support of City Team, a beautiful ministry, can have a secure place to live. Also want to direct your attention to this upcoming event that some of you have heard about because we've advertised it just not from the mic over the last uh, week or so. But in two weeks from today, on the 22nd, we are going to have a special picnic at 4 p.m. in our back parking lot that is in coordination with a wonderful agency in the area, Jewish Family Services, and they house many refugees who are new to the area. And so we're going to have a picnic that we are doing so in honor of refugee families. There's uh, several uh, dozen that are going to be receiving invitations. And if you want to be a part of this event, you can learn about it at bridges.info. Please don't just show up. We're asking people to sign up at bridges.info or to tell me because we are asking people to participate in a, a Zoom 
conversation slash training beforehand, and you'll see a couple dates there that you can pick from. I've got one tomorrow night, got one the following Monday night. If neither of those work for you, let me know if you want to be a part of this event. And it's just our way of assuring this agency that we are taking this event seriously, and we as volunteers want to be prepared for these wonderful refugee families as they come here. We're going to have cotton candy machine. We're going to have a bounce house for the kids. We're going to have a food truck. It's going to be a lot of fun. But again, if you want to serve at that event, bridges.info or come talk to me. Uh, I want to close this in a word of prayer. And I just, anytime we have, uh, you know, this kind of focus on moms or Mother's Day, I just was feeling, as Pastor Dan was sharing, so strongly in my spirit, once again, about different categories of women who are here. And you're here right now. You may be a mom who is praying for one of your children who has walked away from the Lord. And we'd love to pray with you about that. You may have a child of yours that, that, that um, has, has yet to profess faith in Jesus and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. We'd love to agree with you in prayer about that. We see you. We're glad that you're here. You may be uh, someone who has been battling with pregnancy uh, issues or complications or infertility in some way. We're glad that you're here. We want to pray for you um, and agree with you in prayer or pray about these matters with you and just call upon God's favor and mercy in this situation, his wisdom, his peace. We also know that there are some women here who are moms who have lost children to death. Um, and so we want to acknowledge you too. We want to pray for you. So I'm going to make myself available down here. There are any other needs that we'd love to pray about, anything. But those three groups in particular were on my heart, so I'd love to pray with anyone that would love prayer about that. Or you can contact me after the service in some way, or any of us as pastors or staff. We would love to pray for you and help just come alongside and to the extent that we can. So we're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that God puts the body of Christ together the way that he does. You matter to us and you matter to God. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and we'll enjoy refreshments out on the patio. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your sovereignty. Your sovereignty raises so many questions within us, but and yet there's this desire to be able to still press in and to know you more. We pray that your sovereignty over all circumstances would draw us closer to worship you, to know you more, that you are a good God. I pray, Father, for your peace and order in the midst of this chaotic world in which we live, where every day we see headlines and hear stories of suffering and hurting people, maybe even some here in this room. We pray your peace would cover each of these needs and individuals. I pray particularly for Women today who are hurting, crying out to you, maybe for, for a long time, they've been crying out to you on behalf of their children or some desire that you've put in their heart. God, we want to agree in prayer about these needs. Pray your peace and comfort. For those who are hurting, we pray, God, as we leave today, that we would, um, our eyes would be open to your working in incredible ways around us. We thank you for your goodness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.